0: Hi there, this is Brian Barnett with The Last Symptom. When I started The Last Symptom, I never in a million years imagined it would grow as it has. In these early shows especially, audio quality was often iffy, and there were references to services or online groups that are outdated and no longer in use. Great improvements have been made. Where should you go for all of the most up-to-date resources that I offer? thelastsymptom.com is my permanent website full of free resources where everything is always up to date and that I encourage you to refer back to often there are also a few modest paid resources at thelastsymptom.com these support my efforts and have allowed The Last Symptom to exist for as long as it has these include one-on-one phone conversations with me one-on-one Zoom video calls with me, and perhaps most importantly, the Last Symptom Fundamentals course, which is a two-week, intensive, pre-recorded online video course that is far superior to things like DBT. The Last Symptom has a flourishing YouTube and Rumble channel, where I publish regular orange slices, which are condensed video insights of five or ten minutes in length. If you're just now discovering the last symptom, welcome. I hope you will find every insight and resource you need here for authentic and permanent recovery from emotional disorders, such as borderline personality disorder. Now on to the show. Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental health nor emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he has gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as they individually and personally choose, while accepting full responsibility for their own individual thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares and by listening to this program, you are acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and behavior. Happy Thursday, everybody. This is Brian Barnett. Not having a good day. This is the uh, second time I've had to record this. First time, recorded it all the way through, and guess what? My microphone wasn't plugged in, so... That's the first strike against me. Uh, the second strike against me is that I've got a cold, and I feel kind of miserable. So, I'm going to try to be pleasant here today and, and make this uh, optimistic and fun. But I got a cold two, three days ago, and, and it's, it's hanging on. I am very, very happy to have you here. I'm the creator and host, Brian Barnett. Welcome. I want to thank everybody for the feedback. Last episode, I asked for some feedback regarding the length of the show, and I got much more feedback than I expected to get. By far, I would say 99% said that they like the longer episodes, the the almost hour format. So, for for those of you who like the shorter bits, the 20 minute episodes, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to go ahead and go with the longer episodes. Okay, so I'm trying to please everybody, and you know that's impossible. But, um, that's that's I want to be open with you, and I want to be fair with you, and I want to be. Uh, uh, honest with you, that obviously I I, I kind of got to go with what everybody, what the majority prefers. For you individually, I want you to know that uh, your voices carry a lot of weight with me. So I'm going to see what I can do. Stick with me. We'll we'll figure it out. All right. How's your week been going? My week, as you know, I've got a cold. I feel kind of miserable. I'm sitting here drinking a hot toddy without the tea, which uh, is my, that's my running gag, you know. So I'm sitting here sipping some uh, Mr. Hooch to try to kind of smooth my my throat out and, and get me through this. So forgive me if I break out into song and dance or anything like that. Have you had any great epiphanies or wonderful revelations this week? Which particular aspect of emotional health has been your focus have you been able to look at yourself with compassion and patience while at the same time holding yourself to solid reasonable expectations it's all context you know if you can see the context this teeter-totter balance will be much easier when to be appropriately hard on yourself in terms of guilt and when to cut yourself some slack in terms of compassion and patience. Now let me ask you this. After you've failed to be perfect, after you have failed to be perfect, I worded that that way on purpose. When you're going about things and you make a mistake or you, you, know, you fall short of what you wish you could be, recognize it as that. I failed to be perfect. <laughs> so after you failed to be perfect, have you quickly tested to see if what you were feeling was shame or guilt? And if it was shame, did you then quickly reject the shame? Or maybe shift your perspective so that the shame could be converted into guilt? Or better yet, did you consider everything in the proper context and come to the conclusion that neither shame nor guilt was appropriate, given the circumstances. Remember that perfection is unattainable. It's unattainable, no matter what. You're never going to always treat others perfectly. You're never going to always say the right thing. You're never going to always perfectly resist your imperfections and do the right thing. You're never going to always react appropriately. So sometimes neither guilt nor shame is constructive. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes, it's appropriate to put an arm around yourself and say, You know what, buddy? That was just normal human imperfection at work there. It's okay. In the past, we've discussed the differences between ability and capacity. You see, it's reasonable to expect anything of ourselves that we are unable to do. Now, maybe you think I made a mistake there in the way I worded that, but I didn't. going to say it again. It is reasonable to expect anything of ourselves that we are unable to do. Why? Well, because being unable to do something doesn't mean that we're incapable of doing it. Aha! Now it's starting to make sense, isn't it? A new puppy is unable to refrain from peeing on your carpet. He's unable to do that. But he's capable of refraining from peeing on your carpet. And that's why our expectations for house training are not unreasonable. So, any time you fail to be perfect and you start to beat yourself up, ask yourself this. Am I being reasonable with myself? Or am I holding myself to unreasonable expectations? Am I expecting something of myself that I am not just unable to do, but incapable of doing? Listen, perfection is something that you are legitimately incapable of achieving at any time, okay? So never forget this enormously important detail when you're trying to put your efforts and failures into their proper context. The reality is that you are somebody who is making great efforts to escape emotional unhealth. Now, many people will never have to do anything like this. And it's also not something that many people could ever possibly understand the real nature of. So, many people, uh, that is emotionally healthy people, do not have your struggle. And guess what? Guess what? They're failing to be perfect in everything they do as well. (laughs) They're failing as often as you do while not having to deal with the struggle you're dealing with. Do you see that? You're dealing with a ton more than they are. And they're still failing. They are still failing to be perfect. So many people, emotionally healthy people, don't have your struggle. They're failing to do everything perfectly, just like you and they're not dealing with the same struggle you're dealing with. Now granted, their failures are probably not as obnoxious. They're probably not quite as obnoxious. Or as frequent in scope as your failures. But that's beside the point. The point is that nobody is perfect. As human beings, we are incapable. Not just unable, but we're incapable of doing things exactly right. So remember that. And recognize that your positive efforts are a legitimate reason to be patient and unusually patient and forgiving with yourself as frequently as is appropriately possible. Now, this is the big 40th episode of the last symptom. I can't believe it. You know, a year is only 52 weeks. So... We've come a long way, haven't we? My week has been good, despite this cold and this miserable state that I'm in. If I could breathe, it'd be a lot better. But I I started lifting weights with a friend of mine this week. And I had been trying to talk him into joining a local gym with me for the past month. And we went back and forth on that, until finally he said, Hey, uh, why don't we just put together a gym here in one of my, my outside buildings, and we can live for free." And a lot of this had to do with the fact that uh, his wife is the type that will nag him until the end of time about what sort of women are at the gym with us, what they're wearing, if he accidentally brushed shoulders with any of them, if we made eye contact with them, uh, and that sort of thing. She's unusually protective. But bless his heart, he uh, he generally chooses to keep her happy. <laughs> and uh, I'm not saying I agree with the extent that he goes to to keep her happy. I think it's kind of... Uh, I, I think that he probably goes to an unhealthy extent to keep her happy. But it's his life and not mine. So the buddy I'm telling you about, he and I share the same name, Brian. And he along with another guy named Alan, were my best friends in grade school. Grade school. Here in the U.S., it's kindergarten to about fifth grade. And so Brian and I, we met each other on the first day of school in the fourth grade. And I still remember the instant we started talking. I mean, I remember exactly what I said to him. But anyway, he and I and Alan. Then became best friends. We were a tight threesome until we moved on to high school. Then our class schedules and and life pulled us apart. I moved to Columbus, Ohio, then Philly, then Boston, I was married twice, and we were out of touch for, for 20 years, 20 years. Now every summer in my late teens and early twenties, I'd throw a big summer hoedown, a big gathering with a bunch of my friends in the woods where I grew up. We'd go back a few miles and just pick a just pick a good spot anywhere. We'd pick a different spot every year, every summer, because we had, you know, thousands thousands of acres to to go out on in the woods, and we'd. All of us be out there with our guitars and harmonicas and, of course, moonshine and beer and whatever. And it was on the night of one of these hoedowns when I last heard from Brian, my friend, before I moved off into adulthood and the big city. It was about 11 o'clock at night. I was several miles back in the woods with with a bunch of friends of mine. When my dad came into our group, I don't even know how he found us. He must have followed the, the noise or the light from our fire. But uh, he popped out of the shadows and he said, hey, Brian, uh, you got a phone call back at the house. Well, this meant that I'd have to run back a few miles through the woods in the dark in the middle of the night. Back to the house, across these mountain ridges. But when I asked who it was and I found out that it was my old friend Brian from grade school, there was no question I did it. I ran back. Brian was calling to tell me that our friend Alan had killed himself. This was in 1999 or the year 2000. Alan would have only been 22 or 23 or something like that. And he had been going through a divorce and he wasn't taking it very well. And that was that. Remember that night like it was yesterday. Yesterday. But back to Brian, we reconnected here in the past couple of years, and I'm telling you, he's quite a character. Personality-wise, he hasn't changed a lick. We picked right back up as if we had never gone a day apart. He's one of those special people I like that. Um, this guy made me laugh so hard on the school bus once, and I'm not making this up. You've heard of people laughing so hard that they uh, pee their pants. Well, he made me laugh so hard on the school bus one day. I actually pooped my pants. I crapped my pants. (laughs) I full out pooped my pants from laughing so hard. (laughs) And that was a big deal. That was a rough day. The point of the story is that he's still the same guy. (laughs) He's just always jolly and positive. I mean, I've never met anybody like him. You know, he's suffered tragedies in his life. And he has not changed. It has not affected who he is. It amazes me. I really value my friendship with him. Whenever we spend time together, I always leave feeling positive. I always leave thinking, how can I imitate his his mentality, his point of view, to be to be so positive, always in the face of real life. So Brian lives far out in the country and around some Amish, some Amish farms on a nice spread, and he has several work garages or buildings, and he told me to start coming out three times a week and that's what I've been doing. He's outfitted one of these buildings with a bunch of free weights and various workout machines, a pool table, a bar. <laughs> I don't, I don't drink when I'm working out, but it's there just in case. And we're working out there together now, three times a week. So that's my story for this week and a little glimpse into my life. My body today is, is really feeling some of the the strain I've been putting it under, but, uh, I'm looking forward to when I'm looking forward to, to the next few weeks when that goes away, you know, and I can move away from the five pound weights and move up to the 250 pound weights. Now, here on the last symptom, we've talked about how BPD forms in early childhood. How the damage occurs in us when we're in a window of emotional development between birth and age five or six, is what I typically say. Have you ever wondered what is happening? in the years following this damage? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. If the damage happens when we're so young, what is happening inside of us in the years that follow? Well, once the brief window of psychological development where we as children form and cement our fundamental beliefs, that belief is filed away. It's done. The damage is done. The damage has already occurred. You know, you'll you'll see children at like three or four. And, uh, well, I do because I know what I'm looking for. But I'll, I'll talk to them. And I can see that they are hiding. They They're holding back so much of themselves. Why are they doing that? What has happened to a three-year-old when you talk to them and say, hey, let you. Let me see you. And they hide within themselves. What has happened to that child? The children are born that way. That child has learned that for self-preservation, for self-protection, he or she must hide parts of herself or himself. God, that makes me sad. That makes me so sad every time I come across it. Because, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. It's not my child. Society doesn't recognize that as a a form of genuine abuse. But it is. Anytime you come across a child who's hiding himself or herself, within himself or herself, that child has been abused, emotionally abused. Now, if you want to know how true this statement is, that this damage can occur so early, that these beliefs can be adopted so early. My daughter is three years old. She's three, and I could not convince her that sugar is something distasteful, (laughs) no matter how long I sat and reasoned with her. Her repeated and consistent, direct experience with it has already convinced her, down to her bones, down to her toes, that the opposite is true. She's not going to listen to me. She already knows the truth. So these children in these abusive, these emotionally harmful families, they're not going to listen to you. You're not going to convince them that their feelings matter, that they have inherent worth, you're not going to convince them because their consistent, direct experience has already convinced them otherwise. That is very sad. Now, I often say that this window lasts between birth and five or six, but in reality, it's more likely between birth and two or three. Also, it's not as if one event causes the formation of the distorted core beliefs or that children arrive at these fundamental certainties in a single day. They're the result of consistent and ongoing direct experience with their caregivers. The very nature of these parents is subtly harmful. Their attitudes, their attitudes are harmful. The distorted, unhealthy perspectives they use to operate within life permeate the entire family, and often even extended family. So they go and they spend, uh, you know, a day with Grandpa. Well, Grandpas live it on the same thing. They go and they spend a day with Aunt Tommy and Aunt Tina. Well, Aunt Tommy and Aunt Tina, are, their whole perspective of life is based on the same emotional foundation. Cousins, same thing. They're running around with the same exact perspectives. God, you know, it's painful. It's very painful because when a person wants to escape from this, a lot of times it means rejecting their entire families, which is sad and necessary. Uh, Nothing else except emotional health matters. And what is emotional health? It's escaping a certain way of looking at the world. It's escaping a particular way of looking at the world. If that means cutting out your entire family, do it. No family is worth continuing this cancer if you can escape from it. So, once the damage has been done to children, what happens between, let's say, three years old and death? If, let's say, if emotional disorder is never rooted out and fixed. Well, the damage, this cancerous seed which has been planted within the child, it gets repeatedly and forever reinforced. That's what happens. From four on to age 99 this cancerous seed, the damage, which has already been planted within the child 96 years before, gets repeatedly and forever reinforced, even when it's not truly being reinforced. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. As you know, if you've been following me for any length of time, one of the primary distorted core beliefs that people with borderline personality disorder live with is, I myself am inherently irrelevant and shameful, devoid of worth. So, you're 17 now, and I'm going to give this to you from the perspective of a boy, because that's what I'm more intimately familiar with. You're 17 now, and you ask a girl for a date, and she says no. We're going to take a look now at how the emotionally healthy person responds to this as opposed to the emotionally unhealthy person, all right? So you're 17 now, you ask a girl for a date, she she says no. What happens within the emotionally healthy person? Well, he feels a brief sting. Where does the sting come from? The sting comes from the fact that his dreams are not going to come true. Oh man, that hurts. She turned me down. But why is he feeling that way? Is he feeling that way because he's a piece of shit? (laughs) No. He's feeling that way because his dreams, he's realizing that his dreams are not going to become, are not going to be realized. They're not going to come true. He doesn't question his personal inherent value as a human being over it. He understands that. There are a billion factors for a girl to turn down a date request. And the very least of these possibilities, something that never even occurs to him. Think about this. Can you imagine this boy? He's 17 years old. He's asked a girl on a date. He's emotionally healthy. She said no. The furthest thing from his mind is she said no because I am a piece of shit and I'm unworthy of love. This is not even a possibility that exists in his mind. Yet for a person with borderline personality disorder, the emotionally unhealthy kid, this is the first and only true explanation for why the girl said no. Do you you see that? Can you make that contrast? The emotionally healthy person says, well, there's a thousand reasons why she's saying no. Dang. Really. I'm really disappointed. And yet the person with borderline personality disorder, the only thing he thinks is, I'm a piece of shit and unworthy of love, and that's why she said no. Think about this. Even if the girl were to say outright, I don't want to date you, Tommy, because you're a piece of dung and you're unworthy of (laughs) love. The emotionally healthy person, emotionally healthy Tommy, might actually laugh. He might actually laugh at the absurdity of this statement. Never would emotionally healthy Tommy (laughs) accept her opinion as reality. Instead, he sees it for what it is an extreme opinion and a crazy opinion at that. You know, opinions are are simple to reject. When we perceive that something is just an opinion, it's easy for us to, to reject that. So let's say I'm talking to my neighbor next door, and he says, Hey, uh, I want to share an opinion with you. And I say, All right, go for it. And he says, uh, Well, the way I figure it, the Japanese built the Egyptian pyramids. And they did it by using robots. Well, I can look at him and I can keep a straight face out of respect for him. And I can listen to his opinion and uh, I can be polite about it. Okay, well, interesting. Interesting opinion you've got there. What I'm, What is going on inside of me? This guy's nuts. <laughs> this guy's nuts. I don't even know if it's worth my time to try to explain to him why that can't be true. You see what just happened there? He expressed an opinion, and internally, I rejected it. I might have been polite, but internally I rejected it. He's crazy. <laughs> I don't know how he came to this conclusion, but that's—it's just nuts. But what happens with a person with borderline personality disorder is that when something as nutty as this happens, uh, it's just confirmation of what they already believe. Now. The person with borderline personality disorder, here's an important thing. He or she does not even need the girl to come out and specifically say such things in order to believe that the message is there. But what's more is that he accepts the imaginary message of this rejection. You know, two things are happening here. First of all, the message in the rejection is not there, but he's hearing it anyway. Secondly, the message that he imagines is there, but is not there. He is accepting as not simply one person's opinion, but as confirmation of fact. The person with borderline personality disorder has already lived his entire life, 17 years, believing that he is a piece of shit, devoid of worth. So when she says that, no, I... I, I can't go out with you. This rejection simply confirms and reinforces what he has already known for 17 years. That he's a piece of shit. He's devoid of worth. That's why she said no. Now, variations of this happen during all the years of one's life. Once the incredibly subtle... Yet destructive seeds of borderline personality disorder have already been planted. You know, you walk around getting your beliefs confirmed and reinforced at every turn. Every negative thing that happens confirms what you have already known all along. Ah, well, that's to be expected because I'm devoid of worth and I'm a piece of shit. That's that's why that negative thing happened to me. Now, these confirmations are real confirmations during the years that one still lives at home. That is to say that the parents, your parents genuinely were communicating that message that you were hearing. They were communicating it either intentionally or unintentionally. Whether it was intentional or unintentional, that's irrelevant. Out in the broader world, This is typically not the real message being communicated. Most girls turning down a date offer don't feel anything particularly negative about the boy that she's turning down a date offer with. I mean, she might think that he's a nerd or a dork, or or maybe she thinks, well, I, I won't look good with him, or my friends won't like him. But she's not thinking that you're a waste of skin and air. She's not thinking that. But the parents either intentionally or unintentionally are communicating that message. You are worthless. You are, your feelings are irrelevant and shameful. You are devoid of worth. They are communicating that message, either intentionally or unintentionally, and that is irrelevant. Whether it's intentional or unintentional is irrelevant. There's no excuse for them to communicate that message. But the girl turning down the date, she's not doing it because she thinks you're worthless. And most girls would be heartbroken to think that such a message was heard. You see, that's the furthest thing from her mind. Uh, most, most girls would be heartbroken, actually, to know that, that that's what you were thinking from her rejection. Every experience that is even slightly negative gets interpreted as confirmation and reinforcement of the idea that the person with borderline personality disorder is a pile of shameful dung devoid of inherent value. And during recovery, one gains clarity and begins to see all the millions of instances when this was happening. And this is helpful for understanding the reach that the tentacles of this disorder have had throughout all aspects of your life and this is helpful in then eliminating the distorted core beliefs with time so that's what happens that's what's going on between the age of four and death and all of you out there who are listening to this program knowing gives you power When you escape from ignorance about what has been going on inside of you, that gives you power. The way I thought I would uh, end today's episode on the big 40th is by sharing some correspondence. I'm not going to give any names. It's going to be completely private who have corresponded with me. I'm just going to share some of their thoughts and feelings. First one goes like this. Your podcasts and articles have helped me Beyond, In my effort to support a loved one, I had basically devoured every internet site and books on the subject with so much conflicted information as well as misinformation. I was in a tailspin on exactly how I could support without going down the familiar road of codependency. You really have given me some life lessons on reality. The next one goes like this. It's just so logical, simple really, but I had no clue. I know that I have years to my recovery. I will recover, but right now I can actually see these feelings and therefore stop them, analyze them, and act in a better way or not act at all. It's really cool. It's like I'm in my mind for the first time slowly taking over the autopilot. The next one goes like this. Your podcasts and articles truly are a godsend, and I am currently working through the process of analyzing my personal history through the lens of understanding the nature of my distorted core beliefs as you laid out. This one is near and dear to my heart. This one comes from Lebanon. The person says... I just want to say that one of the most amazing things that has happened since listening to all the podcasts two or three times and at least one podcast a day for the past three weeks and reading things on this group every day, that is my Facebook education group, is that I feel like I am suddenly natural. I feel like when I talk to people, I am actually being myself for once. It used to be exhausting to talk to anyone now I'm just me I just am I just talk instead of thinking about what I'm saying and what the other person is saying and what everyone means or doesn't mean and I really don't overthink like I used to I'm so much calmer inside it really feels very surreal and this is from the same writer and I want to share this because Um, I thought this was very insightful, and I agree with it. Uh, We lose a lot of members in our group because they come to something they disagree with, and they just go. But here's what she says, and, and I would agree with her. Literally, everything he says is actually spot on. If you miss it the first time or second time, if you keep listening and reading you'll realize that every single thing is perfectly described for each and every one of us, no matter who we are or where we are from, to really get it. I can't believe how lucky I am to have found this podcast. And uh, this one comes from California. In just under a week, I have literally flipped my life around. I was wondering what kept making me fall into cycles of feeling good to bad, and it really was that distorted belief to be ashamed of my feelings. Now I've been living my past few days with no regrets. I have went through physical, emotional, verbal abuse, but I don't consider myself a victim of it, but instead of conqueror of it. There's no longer a voice of anxiety or depression in my head as I'm confident about who I am. And love myself internally and externally. Never had this feeling in my life until now. I'm so thankful to you, Brian, and all of you courageous souls. It does get better. This one from the UK says, uh, This page, that is my education group, has influenced and changed my life more than you know. Another one from the United Kingdom says, Thank you so, so much, Brian Barnett. I've lived knowingly with borderline personality disorder since 2013, diagnosed in May 2018. Previously, I believed it to be depression and anxiety, which I would be living with for the rest of my life. I'm now on my second listening of your podcast, 1 to 37. You've given me more hope for a full recovery than any person or technique. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Here's another one from the UK, which uh, touches me very, very much. Brian, I've listened to all of your podcasts several times, but you hit the ball out of the park with this one. She's talking about uh, the episode where I discussed uh, shame versus guilt. She goes on to say, This is the message that was the beginning of turning things around for me. As you know, I've followed you since this other website that I used to contribute to. And it's taken a while for me to grasp this concept. Learning the difference between shame versus guilt has been invaluable for me. This truth led me to seek an understanding of my value, which has been a very personal, spiritual journey for me. I'm not the same person today I was four to five months ago. I've told you this before, you are my North Star, as I know you are for others as well. Somebody from the USA says, Hello Brian, I found your podcast in February 2019, at the point of my rock bottom. I listened to 33 episodes in 5 days. I then listened to them all again, including all the new episodes, I now find myself excited for Thursday afternoons at the gym with your podcast, You Saved Me. Regarding your question about the perfect amount of time for your podcast, my answer is for you to take as much time as you want. I'll keep listening. Thank you for saving my marriage, my relationship with my kids, and my life. My turnaround is nothing short of miraculous. 51 years with BPD, and you have broken the shield in five days. Plenty of work left, but I am on my way to full recovery. Well, I hope um, that this evening you're enjoying listening to this podcast and that it helps you knock out those... uh, those bench presses. I'm going to close with this one. This is the most recent one I got within the last uh, two days. Hi, Brian. I wanted to let you know that I love each and every show. They all help me a great deal, whether I realize it at the time of listening, sometime after, maybe even some yet-to-be-determined time. Your shows are quite honestly the only connection I have outside of my own self and my own family, and my family consisting of only three minors, I'm not entirely sure they keep good company or that it's company that I should even consider company at all, especially given my overwhelming need to talk about how hard it can be, how alone it feels, how their problems are so, I don't know, trivial compared to the yet-to-be-realized issues. I may have caused in their lives. Of course, I try my best, as everyone claims to do, but it's so excruciatingly lonely sometimes. I look forward to your podcast every Thursday, not only for the education, but the company. The way a familiar voice reading poetry I'd long since forgotten can somehow make the loneliness linger a little less. Thank you so much for doing what you're doing. I'm so grateful. Well, in honor of that, I am going to read some poetry to close out this episode. It's called I Carry Your Heart With Me, one of the most unusually beautiful poems. I carry your heart with me. I carry it in my heart. I am never without it anywhere I go you go my dear and whatever is done by only me is your doing my darling I fear no fate for you are my fate my sweet I want no world for beautiful you are my world my true and it's you are whatever a moon has always meant and whatever a sun will always sing is you. Here is the deepest secret nobody knows. Here is the root of the root and the bud of the bud in the sky of the sky of a tree called life which grows higher than soul can hope or mind can hide. And this is the wonder that's keeping the stars apart. I carry your heart. I carry it in my heart. I Carry Your Heart With Me by E.E. E. Cummins. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to The Last We'll See you next Thursday.